very special edition of the Big Red Lily Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Lane, and today I'm joined by a player who everyone should be more than familiar with. Uh, my guest today is Louisville's second all-time leading receiver, ninth all-time in receiving touchdowns, a former third-round pick, 10-year NFL veteran. Welcome in the last receiver prior to Tutu Atwell to gain 1,000 yards for the Louisville Cardinals and a man who is very familiar with the Miami Hurricanes. Harry Douglas, how are you, my friend? Welcome into the Big Red Lily Podcast. Listen, I'm doing well. Listen, I'm excited to be here. I'm Louisville all day, every day. Let's get this show rolling. Look, my, my audience won't be able to see you, but what I'm looking at right now is a man just absolutely dapper in Louisville gear with the helmets in the background. Uh, not much has changed, Harry, in terms of your loyalty to the program, but um, since, you know, this is our first time talking, but, uh, you know, as far as our audience goes, they may not be, you know, too familiar with what you've been up to. Uh, the last time I believe you were on the NFL field was in 2017 with the Titans. How has life been since you stepped away from the NFL and what do you have going on now? Well, life has been great. Being able to step away from the game on my own terms uh, was a blessing. And to be able to be home with my wife, my, my, my daughter, and now my son, he just turned one years old, and be able to guide them and be there for them every step of the way is amazing. And I've entered the media world, and it's something that I have fell in love with. Last year was my first year. Well, I'll, I'll take you back a, a, few, a few, few years back. Uh, every offseason, when I would come back home to Atlanta, or when I was playing in Atlanta, I would intern at, at the radio station, 92.9 The Game here in Atlanta. So I fell in love with it. I, I retired. I took a year off. I got into the, the media thing last year. And man, I thought I fell in love with it at first. I really, really fell in love with it uh, during, during my stunt last year. So I did the pregame, postgame, halftime show for the Falcons. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to do a lot of things with ESPN last year. I got to do the college football show. I got to do some countdown to college game days. Um, I did the one down in Baylor, and I did the SEC championship game. And I got to do the national championship game. I got to do the uh, college football semifinals. got to do the NFL draft this year uh, with a lot of wonderful people. So it's just been a blessing and something I love doing. That's amazing, man. And what's funny is you hear so many players during the, their professional days talk about how they can't stand the media. Or were you one of those guys who, you know, constantly was butting heads with reporters or had issues with, you know, some of the things that were written or said about you and your team? Or were you a guy who, you know, had a relationship with media members and was always close to them, um, you know, treated them, you know, nicely with respect? You know, some players obviously don't do that. But uh, which kind of offense did you find yourself on? I actually treated everyone with respect. I understood that those people had a job to do. And I always said this, if you don't pe want people writing certain things in the media, perform better. All they're doing is, is, is writing and talking about uh, what you presented on the field. So if you want to change that narrative, you, you, you will get in control of it 100%. So I always made, made sure I treat it. It didn't have to be media members. The, the janitor crew, the people who fixed our food, I always treated people with the utmost respect because everyone is a part of our wins uh, when we were successful. Everybody deserves that respect no matter what in this world. Uh, that's a great answer. And honestly, you know, it, it would be a completely different sporting industry if that was the case on both sides, right? That, that goes for the media members as well. Um, you, you know, we see way too many people make things personal. But enough about that. That's great to hear about this new venture of your life, this new chapter for you. Let's move into something that you're super familiar with, which is the Louisville Cardinals, the Miami Hurricanes. Take me back the first time you all took, you took on Miami in 2004, your freshman year, you're 18 years old, going against the, you know, the team that, as you were in high school, was probably the college football team. Uh, so you're getting your first look at them down in Miami. Take me back to that night. Um, obviously, you guys walked away shorthanded, losing by three points. But how did that set you up for when you saw them again in 2006? 
Well, I'll tell you this. That game alone, I think we were ranked – if I'm not mistaken, we may have been ranked in the top ten or right, right outside the top ten. I think Miami was ranked in the top five. We actually had Miami beat the entire game. And um, <laughs> we, had, we had a chance to seal the game with an interception at the end. We didn't get it. Uh, we messed around and kicked the punch straight to Devin Hester. Uh, those were definitely not the plans. We were trying to kick the ball out of <laughs> not, not let him touch the football. He, he sat our punter down in the middle of the field and, and scored a touchdown. But I'll say that game, I think we moved up in the rankings after a loss during that game. But just being on that field and, 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 and being in that environment down there at the time, I, I believe it was the Orange Bowl that mm-hmm. was, they were still playing in. And, 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 and knowing that your team and, and the guys that you go to bat with every day uh, can play with one of these top five teams in the nation, and we didn't even blink an eye. That was our only loss of that year. And, and we, we look at it. And my, at the time, my brother was at Auburn, playing basketball at Auburn. And – he wanted Auburn to match up with us in some kind of bowl game of fashion. That's when they had Ronnie Brown, Cadillac, and Jason, mm-hmm. Jason Campbell. And that one loss, uh, we didn't get a chance to do that. But I think for our program, it solidified our program and Coach Petrino being a hell of a recruiter because everyone on our team was basically from either Louisville, Alabama, Florida, or Georgia. Which it's interesting you say that because it's the same thing now, right? Louisville's makeup mostly is Georgia, Florida, uh, not so much the local part here anymore, but playing against Miami, we've heard it for, you know, all of the matchups that Louisville's had with Miami over the years of how important it is for players to be able to go back home or play against the team that maybe they felt they weren't recruited by. Uh, but, you know, moving into to 06, when you guys got them again in your junior season, uh, yes. they, obviously, yes. they obviously were a little bit, a little bit uh, different team. They were ranked, I, I believe they were 17th. They were even lower than you guys were at that point. But still, I remember even as a younger kid moving into that game, the narrative was that Louisville had a chance to change the national perception of themselves and, and being a dominant team and no longer just a mid-major, you know, Conference USA days, but in the Big East ready to make, you know, a name for themselves. How did that game, uh, first of all, that was your birthday, which you, you told me a little bit earlier, that was one of the most meaningful wins, which I would love for you to talk about that a little bit. But what do you remember from that game of, of standing out um, so many years later? And how bad do you want that touchdown on Hunter Cantwell's first throw of the game still? You were four yards short. I know you want that touchdown, man. Well, I'll say this at first. When you look at that Miami team, that Miami team was full of professional athletes also. If I'm not mistaken, I think they had Greg Olson. Absolutely, I, yep. I played with a guy at quarterback in Atlanta, Glenn, Glenn, um, Glenn Sharp. Mm-hmm. They had Kenny Phillips. I think they had Calais Campbell. All those guys were on their team. So Miami, they weren't off the radar. They still had uh, uh, NFL prospects rolling in and out of that program. But just that day, just in general, I remember everyone asking me, what do you want for your birthday? What do you want for your birthday? And I was like, listen, I don't want anything for my birthday. All I want to do for my birthday is to beat the Miami Hurricanes because it was just so special for it to be able to fall on the day of my birthday. Um, I think what led to our, our win is Miami coming in there a little cocky. and um, Yeah, stomping on the bird, I'd say, is a little bit more than cocky, man. We didn't take too kind for disrespect. I'll tell you that right now. Because we had guys on our team that could have played at these – big-time uh, D1 colleges. We just chose to go to Louisville. And one of the reasons why I chose Louisville because I wanted to be a trendsetter. I wanted to start things at a program that, that hadn't been started before. And, and I think that's what we did. But I wanted that touchdown so bad. I remember the play. It was a post route. And, and Hunter Cantwell did a great job coming into that game and, and replacing Brom after he got hurt. 
and just being amazing and delivering the football and getting us into the right plays. Um, Miami loved the blitz, and when Hunter seen it, he learned from the previous year in the Gator Bowl when he did not do such a good job against the blitz with Virginia Tech. So I, I love the way he he redeemed himself, uh, took it upon himself to study and understand what Miami was doing to get us into the right checks, and it, it, the rest is history now. Yeah, well, the ball, I got to say, man, you're very modest. You're a great teammate. That ball was underthrown just a hair. <laughs> Had he thrown that over your shoulder, you would have walked into the end zone with a touchdown on your birthday and, and one of the biggest wins of your career. But let's move, let's move into this season. Um, I want to talk to you a lot more about what's happened the last few years, obviously, with your experience with Coach Petrino. But I want to spend the, the majority of this episode just diving into the matchup ahead of us. But, but first, I want to talk about what you saw against Western Kentucky. You know the narrative that's been out there, Scott Satterfield, overachieved his first season um, they played you know far better than they were expected the defense was still an issue the offense was electric um, so moving into this year all about the defense can they play at the high level that they that matches the offense in your opinion what did you see and are you any further uh, along in believing that they're uh, you know ready to change that national perception of themselves again well, I, I thought it was a, a good first game. Not a great first game, just because of everything that's going on in, in our society today, COVID-19. And a lot of people feel like, okay, yeah, you don't have preseason in college, but you got to think about the mental total pole that everything that's going on is having on these young men. And we're talking about guys who are 18, 19 years old, not even a majority of them, not even 21, year, uh, 21 years of, of, of age yet. So th that, that whole psyche part is, is a whole debacle that they have to untangle just to get out there and play the game of football that they love and going to the stadium, getting tested, and you have to do the same thing in the NFL. That's different because players have routines that they love to be in. When you have to do that differently every week, no, depending on if you're home or away, um, it's a little different. And it's a little different from your routine that you're naturally used to. But I think the, the, the main thing for this defense this year is going to be defensive line play. They have to be stellar up at the defensive line because last year the run game uh, gashed them a lot. You look at the game against Kentucky – uh, when you had a basically a, a receiver running back playing quarterback and, and, and gashing them. So I thought I think this year stopping the run has to be very, very, very effective, and they have to be better in that department of that defensive line. You, you're spot on. And the thing that Gigi Robinson told us last week is he doesn't blame any program, any head coach who doesn't come in to play Louisville with the same game plan that Kentucky did last year, which is run the football, run the football. Uh, against UAB, Miami ran the football upwards of, I believe, 50 times. I mean, they gave the running backs the ball. Let me pull this back up. 52 times. So, yeah, 52 times they run the football last week. We are crazy as a fan base if we don't expect them to come in here and try to do the same thing. What did you see uh, when you watch Miami? What do you like about De'Ara King and that offense? And do you think Louisville can slow down the running game? Well, I think for, for Miami, you look over the years, uh, what, what's hurt them the most? It's not being able to have a guy at the quarterback position to, to, to make the right plays, to be able to beat a team by himself. Now you bring in De'Ara King as a graduate transfer. And I compared him. I broke him down and watched a lot of his games, uh, went back and watched his Houston games. I compared him, he's a little bit, uh, he reminds me a little bit of Kyler Murray because he's so quick twitchy and he can use his legs to get, get, him, get himself out of bad plays. And as you see in that game where he went through his reads and see nothing was there, he took the ball off and ran, ran it in for a touchdown. So now you not only have Cameron Harris to deal with, now you got to deal with De'Eric King in the run game also. So you have to have a plan for not just Cameron Harris, uh, Harris and stopping the run, but you have to account for De'Eric King. And as many times as you can hit them, you have to hit them. And, and I, for this defense of Louisville, I think the strong point 
is there linebackers, the outside linebackers, when you look at C.J. Avery and, and Rajay Burns? And one thing I love about the defense this year is that the guys in the secondary, they have a lot more experience. You look at Anthony Johnson. You get uh, Rush Yeast back. Um, you have Isaiah Hayes. He, he's there. You have Chandler Jones. And you have the, um, the, the transfer. Yeah, uh, Ketron Clark. Yeah. yeah, Clark. So you have a, a magnitude of guys in that secondary who actually can play great football for you. Now, when I watched that game, I watched that game probably over eight or nine times now from last year against Miami. You cannot give them easy access throws. You have to get up and press these receivers and make it difficult for them because if you don't, it's just going to be like you're, you're playing seven-on-seven playing Skelly. Um, and I think one thing they can, they can do a, a better job of is that defensive line play. Have, you have to get pressure on De'Aaron King, and you have to try to wreck that game with your front. My biggest critique of Louisville in game one was just the lack of pressure that the front three got. Uh, you know, when you, when you bring in the, the four linebackers, obviously Monty Montgomery had a huge game. C.J. Avery and Dorian Etheridge made great plays, but the defensive line did not push, you know, a, a Conference USA offensive line the way that you would have liked. And so when you head into Miami, obviously that is a little worrisome considering Miami's got a bigger offensive line. They're more athletic. Uh, they, they dominated last year, to be, to be quite honest, but uh, that's a weakness on, on their side of, of the ball. Where else is it Miami week where Louisville can really take advantage? Uh, Miami offensively? From Just offensive. in general. So the offensive line, I think, is what's oh, been the, the key point that people have talked about. But the defensive back group, I, I've heard they've got three or four healthy corners at this point. Where, where can Louisville um, offensively or defensively kind of take advantage of Miami? I'll say offensively, you, you have to look at this. When I, when I watched that game last year, one of the things Miami did a great job of, and they would be crazy not to come back into this year and try to do it again, is blitzing, not just on third downs, but on first and second downs. They blitz their linebackers a lot. So, and, it, and some of them was a lot of delayed blitzes. So what you want to do, you kind of want to move the pocket. Get Cunningham on the edge, move the pocket a little bit, use screen plays to negate that those blitzes and that rusher. We got, they have a great defense in and Quincy Roach. Uh, other things you might want to do is use the snap count to your advantage. Sometimes just go up there and quick snap it. Sometimes go up there, give them hard counts, make them jump, jump outside so you can get those extra yards. So, but I think when you look at the receiving core for the Louisville, for the Louisville team in Tutu Atwell, uh, now you have uh, Braden, Braden Smith did a great job last week, and you have Des Fitzpatrick. I think they're going to be better than most teams' DBs always, always. And I love the tandem at running back and Hassan Hall and Javion Hawkins. So those guys are going to get theirs. Now, I did think last year the, 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 the penalties hurt this Louisville team because it's hard to, to – when you're playing behind the eight ball, it's already hard enough <laughs> going into a game. So you want to kind of limit those. And then the turnovers, the turnover, uh, there was a minus three last year in the turnover margin when they played against Miami. You can't turn the football over. But I think I, everything Louisville did last year, uh, would it, they ran the ball effectively. When they wanted to pass, they passed effectively. They just got to handle that, 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 uh, that fire zone blitz, man. They brought a lot of fire zone blitzes on third down, and people wonder, what's a fire zone blitz? Well, you're rushing five, and you're dropping six, and you're playing zone coverage behind it. But the, the difficult part is that you don't know which five guys are coming in your rush because you may have a defensive end dropping out. You may have a, a linebacker that's in your A-gap, but he's dropping out and not coming. So the O-line just has to be on one accord and be able to communicate things so they can pick everything up. 
Absolutely incredible football analysis that I just simply cannot provide. That is great. And that's the type of stuff that um, I think our audience is trying to learn about, about Scott Satterfield and this defense with what Brian Brown is doing, um, because, you know, it, it looks a little bit different than last year, at least from what I saw at Cardinal stadium last weekend, uh, last year with Miami, the secondary was really one of the big keys that uh, there was multiple plays that kind of stood out as big mistakes. Uh, but if they can get that corrected, Harry, I think that this defense has a chance to look a lot like the defense did back in 2006. And as I watched that, that game again today, there were so many linebackers and defensive ends on that team who were capable of making plays with speed. How big of a deal is speed when you're playing against a team like Miami, right? That, that's one of those things that they, they are just, uh, you know, above and beyond in their minds faster than everybody else. But last year, it looked like Louisville was a step slow. This year, their defense looks faster. So how much does that play into being able to stop a team like Miami? Well, you look at every coach now, whether it's at the high school level, college level, NFL level, what do they, what do they want? speed you look here at Atlanta I, I do things for the Falcons here you look at the linebackers there. I don't think they have a linebacker that's over 250 pounds but that's just the way the game is going nowadays you need guys that can run sideline to sideline still be physical and can get downhill and make plays and that's what we had back in 2006 that's why I say it's so important also for that D-line to wreak havoc and and, and and make noise in there but when, when I look also when I look at that game last year what, what hurt this defense in this secondary was explosive plays you have to limit Miami's explosive plays. Um, I was just counting before I got on with you. And while I was counting, I didn't even get a chance to finish. Miami was at eight explosive plays. And you want offenses to have to work to score a touchdown. You don't want them to have three, five, six play drives where they're scoring touchdowns. Make them work. Get up in those receivers' uh, face. Make those receivers have to work to get their catches, to make their plays, versus just having free access and doing it like you plan in the backyard. Yeah, speaking of a guy who made, uh, you know, who did work last year in Tutu Atwell, made it look just super easy. I mentioned at the top of the show, he's the first receiver since 2007 when, when you went for uh, 1,200 yards in your final season at UofL. First of all, did you know that, he, that you were the last receiver to have 1,000 yards? Like, if I told you that, is that a surprise to you? Or does that kind of like, considering the guys who have played here, is that like, wow, I didn't realize that? Well, I actually didn't know it until last year when I was doing something for ESPN and one of the guys, Mike Golick, he actually did the bowl game uh, for, for Louisville and Mississippi State, and me and him were talking about the whole debacle, but I didn't know that until then, until he told me. Yeah, it's a fascinating stat, considered who's played here, but last year, Tutu Atwell was uh, simply the best receiver I have seen on a Louisville field uh, since yourself. Devontae Parker is, is no slouch, obviously, but in terms of big plays and being able to stretch the field and score touchdowns, uh, Atwell last year, his performance was, was through the roof and uh, against Miami specifically. Uh, so let me ask you a two-part question here. In your mind, is Tutu Atwell the most dangerous receiver you've seen play for Louisville since you left? Uh, and then as a guy who has experience playing with a number of really good receivers at one time with, you know, guys like J.R. Russell, Mario Uridia, even Gary Barnage at tight end. Um, how hard is it for a, a defensive back, especially a defensive back group that's shorthanded, to cover um, a lot of receivers at one time? I know you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but when you have guys like Tutu and Dez and Braden Smith, Marshawn Ford, Justin Marshall, the list goes on and on. How do, how do, as a defensive back coach, how do you prepare your guys to go to battle with that? Well, I'll talk about Tutu first. First of all, he's an amazing talent. He's from South Florida. They breed left and right every day, athletes that come out of there. My mom is from there. Trust me, I know. <laughs> you want to know something? Here's something crazy you may not know about him. He actually broke all of Teddy Bridgewater's passing records as a quarterback playing at the same high school. See, just straight athletes. And my, like I said, my mom's from Liberty City. She's from that area down there in Miami. So I have a lot of cousins who went to the West, a lot of cousins that went to Carroll City um, in, in Miami Senior High. So 
I know all about uh, Miami and, and, and what they bring in athletes. But when, when you talk about Tutu, it's a, he's an amazing, amazing talent. I think he's going to be a first-round draft pick when he does decide to go. And when you have a player at any given moment, anytime he touches the football, can take it for a touchdown and go to distance, that's scary as hell as, as a defensive coordinator trying to prepare for it. Like, and, and not to mention you have a quarterback who's a dual-threat quarterback also, and you have a two-headed monster at running back, and you have Des Fitzpatrick on the opposite side of 2-2. So when you have a guy like that who's that electric, all you can hope for is that he hurt himself because it's going to be hard to stop him. Uh, I don't think it's a DB that can guard 2-2 one-on-one in the country. So it's going to be off to the races. You know Churchill Downs is right, right across the street. So uh, let that thoroughbred get that ball and, and go ahead and do his due. You know what's interesting is I thought Western Kentucky did a pretty good job last week covering him. I know he had seven for 77, but they, they did a good job of putting a, a you know defensive back close on him and then shadowing him whenever he would go out on deep passes. Um, but I expect him to, to take advantage of this game. That defensive back group, they're, they're injured. I get that you can put safeties out there in coverage, but it's not ideal to do that for a full game. I expect Scott Satterfield to be able to take advantage of seeing them for the second time in two years. All right, let's end. Go ahead. But I'll tell you what it does, though. When you have a player like Tutu Atwell, um, who's always going to catch the defense attention, it frees up more things for Dez. It frees, frees up more things for Brayden. Not to mention, Louisville is a run-first offense. So you have to stop the, the run of Louisville probably first. That's your first mindset. Now you have to, if you want to, double cover Tutu. Now it's leaving everybody up, everybody else one-on-one. Same thing that's going on right now with Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. Julio Jones is demanding – ample coverage and a lot of attention. So Calvin Ridley, who's an ex- exceptional wide receiver, is getting one-on-one coverage on the backside. That's why you see him having all these coverage. And I'll take my money with Tutu and Calvin Ridley going one-on-one against anybody. That's what happens when you have receivers. Is defense has to allocate resources other places and guys get overlooked. Uh, I want to ask you this. This is an interesting question. I've not gotten a chance to ask anybody this. Um, Mikael Cunningham, yep. when you look at him, does he scream NFL quarterback to you? Because I see him – you know, in this new age of offense with what they're doing with Lamar in Baltimore, why wouldn't an NFL team, if he can prove he can accurately throw the ball to the sidelines, he can make those check downs, he's a good decision maker. In my mind, he can play in the NFL. What about you? I think he can. You look at the way the NFL is going now. You don't see many Tom Brady's, uh, Matt Ryan's, uh, Drew Brees's making their way into the NFL nowadays. Uh, I'll tell you this, Bill Belichick right now, and Cam Newton, Bill Belichick has wanted a quarterback like Cam Newton the last three years. And here's why. The only type of quarterbacks that have gave Bill, a Bill Belichick defense problems have been a dual threat quarterback. So that's the way the NFL is going nowadays. And Mikhail Cunningham, a lot of people said Lamar. And, and, and Lamar, one thing I love about Lamar is that he kind of built that role. He didn't build, build the role, but he kind of made it uh, okay. He made it okay to draft guys that play the game of football like him because what was the knock of him going into the draft? He needs to change positions. He, yeah. he, he's not going to be a quarter. He has to be a receiver. And not only did he prove everyone wrong, he proved himself and what he believed in himself right. So when you look at Mikael Cunningham, I think he, he can definitely play the game of football at the next level. All right, man, let's, let's end the show here. I, I would love to have you back next week. We celebrate our 50th podcast. I'd love to have you come back next week and talk a little bit more about yourself, talk about your career, things at Louisville, dive into that, because there's a lot of stuff. I don't think Louisville fans have gotten to hear from you a full um, interview or a, a lot since you've left. So I would love to dive into that if you'd be interested. But let me get your prediction, score if you're willing to do that, and then who is your MVP of the game? I'm going to go score. I'm going to go, let's see, let's go. I'm going to go 38 
38-31 Louisville, and my MVP, Mikhail Cunningham. All right, and what, what Louisville wins because fill in the blank, because why? Louisville wins because they don't turn the football over. Uh, they have more explosive plays. The plays were there last year. It just got uh, derailed by, by penalties or certain things here and there. Love it, man. Harry, it was great to, to meet you and get to catch up with you a little bit. Looking forward to hopefully talking with you next week. Uh, I know, man, and the, 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 there's a lot of opponents that Louisville could play. Miami has got to have a special place in your heart considering what you guys almost did in 04 and what you did in 06. Uh, looking forward to, to watching the game and hearing your thoughts next week. Thanks for joining the show. No problem. Thank you for having me. Thank you.